welcome to Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman, also called H. I'm Ryan Quintel, also called Q. You sound sad. <sighs> H, as you know personally, I have discovered that I am living in a suboptimal reality and that there is a virtual reality that I can visit <laughs> at any time that is vastly more magical to my horrible regular reality. There are vastly more Beat Sabers in that reality than there are over here. <laughs> One might say 100% of the Beat Sabers <laughs> exist in the other reality. And now I don't know if I can go back. Well, luckily we do tape this show in virtual reality. I am, um, of course, represented by a, a small anime schoolgirl. And then you are an offensive ish ugandan knuckles we really have to make up our mind on whether or not that one is actually a racist meme yeah i'm trying not to uh have it be racist <laughs> because i do feel this is kind of how i personally identify this is my own body this is what feels right to me so it is not meant to offend i apologize if it does i've been wearing this headset now for about oh clocking in at about 128 straight hours so at some point i'm going to need to take wow. this thing off and, and really hose it down <laughs> well what have you experienced so far <laughs> so i got the oculus rift s uh and i picked up uh i played uh, an intro say hour or so of lone echo per your suggestion mm -hmm. very very good uh played some Beat Saber. And you know what? This one is, i it's so simple and probably totally obvious to people that know it and play it. But hey, Minecraft is lit in VR. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I couldn't describe it. I said to, I was in chat with my brothers uh, and I was like, do you know how big a Minecraft block is? Because I do. It's, <laughs> it's about a meter wide and tall and it's about a meter cube and and just having that scale of like making a house but then like feeling like you're inside of it or whatever hmm. it's somehow incredibly novel i was a psvr owner so impressed with the oculus and uh i'm thankful that the s has done away with the uh the usb port cameras that need to be set hmm, up right. and everything um it makes a big difference. And I love not having to wear headphones. It has uh, speakers that kind of blast themselves towards your ears. They're not too, too loud. But it means that, like, if Jessica says, hey, uh, dinner time or whatever, or hey, what are you doing down there? I can I can answer her. And and actually, when you visit the menu and stuff, they do pass through of the cameras so you can actually see where you are in your own oh, room nice. when you hit the menu button so a lot of nice features uh if you're holding off on an oculus rift headset what a what a wonderful time to jump in now i have an old oculus rift that, um i don't want to say the original model because i know that they sent out a lot of like kickstarter backer versions before hitting 1.0 but it is the non-S version before they started labeling it anything further than just Oculus Rift. And um, I was a little bit like, oh no, now there's a better one out there. But then as I've been reading more about it, there's like kind of an equal number of, of improvements and drawbacks. And so I feel like I'm okay with what I have right now. Although I would not mind freeing up a couple of USB ports, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, for all those, for all the, for minimum, for doing some audio would be really wonderful. Yeah, it's a cool it's a cool device, and I think uh, yeah, what are they? They got rid of the OLED, um, which you know right. anecdotally 
since I don't have a side by side, I can't really tell, but I'm sure is a you know a drawback there. And but it's a higher resolution, so you know what you miss in the OLED, you kind of make up for in the resolution. I don't know. One of the things that's weird in that I played my brother's Oculus Rift, which is the sort of normal canonical Rift. The the eye width adjustment is gone. Mm. That is now entirely in software, and people say that it doesn't quite live up to what the mechanical eye adjustment could do. So, mm, okay. yeah, I, I don't know if I have unusually close eyes or far eyes or if they're just right, <laughs> but so far, so good. Yeah, well, anyways, I should say before recording tonight, I made one of my uh, one of my favorite dishes, which is a North African shakshuka. It's a great kind of tomato egg dish, but there's a, there's a step in the process where I have to add both um, paprika and cumin seed into the uh, into the 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 pot all at once, and from that point forward, for the rest of the evening, my nose is just miserable. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> running and sneezing and stuff, and so I don't know what it is. I don't know if I'm allergic to either of the ingredients, but every single time, it is just I'm going through tissues like. Well, I can't think of any good it's analogies. Good. <laughs> You're going through tissues like, and then we'll drop it right there. That's good. You're clearing it out. This is, that's probably good for your digestion <laughs> system. I, I now eat, this is like inside baseball at this point. The listeners are like, get to the video games. But my breakfast at this point, almost every day is two hard boiled eggs uh, with salt, mm. pepper, and sriracha on them. Gets the, the, you need some spice to get things going. Yeah, definitely. And I'm not one to shy away from spice. I am notorious for liking very spicy food. I would uh, regularly in college, um, I would order out, uh, you know, go out to the restaurant, bring back leftovers, and then any roommates who tried to steal my food from me, which, you know, <laughs> just desserts, I would find in the morning in the kitchen crying, be like, oh, what's up? And he's like, I tried some <laughs> of your food. It's so hot. <laughs> Why did you do this to me? <laughs> Serge, you're right. <laughs> That's right. Well, anyways, let's get to some video games. I uh, I imagine you're going to be pitching some VR stuff today. Is that uh, uh, is that an inclination that it's, it's not? But I I yeah. I mean, okay. certainly all my inspiration this past week has been VR. So you can imagine that yes, VR games are in our future. My pitch for you today is a reverse tower defense game. Now maybe this is. Uh, akin to tower a, offense. a tower offense game. Yes, very good. Uh, <laughs> so it's think of it like a, maybe a little, we'll call it a StarCraft-esque speed of base building where you are essentially building up a barracks of technology and defenses and you uh, assemble and manufacture waves of troops. You can group them together into those waves and then choose the order that you're going to deploy the waves. But you're trying to create troops with a sufficient amount of technology. Maybe you're under a time crunch um, and you're trying to like get to the enemy crystal, but you're doing it from the other side. You're trying to break through the tower defenses. Okay, and we're starting the clock there. So it seems to me, in a regular tower defense game, it's more of a numbers game than it is a strategy game, but maybe I'm just not very familiar with the genre. So... What I'm thinking is if I was in control of the enemy waves, I would just send as many as I could muster right at the beginning, kind of zerg rush them yeah. and kind of barrel on through. But if you have more experience with tower defense, if there are different enemy types or if there's if there's specific like combinations of enemies or spaces between enemies, 
Um, I always felt like the spaces between enemies were kind of like a kindness to me as the player to give myself some time to like strategize and regroup. But um, what could we do that would be more interesting than just hammering the button as many times as possible at the very beginning? <laughs> right. That's a good question. So I think you would have to set up, you would have to be creating a system of buildings or whatever that are outputting not just troops on command, but more like troops per minute or something like that. Um, okay. And those troops kind of pop out with, or maybe you can create troops fast, but those troops to outfit them with the proper uh, weapons or gear or whatever, they have to kind of walk through other buildings in your line. So the more you make your assembly line co complicated, the sort of more powerful your troops can become. But then you, I think you're kind of trying to like store up ideally waves of troops and deploy them in the right order of like, okay, every time you deploy a group right. of troops, you get a peek as to what the the enemies, what the defender's defenses are. Potentially in between your deployment rounds, the defender gets an opportunity to build up or repair. Yeah, I, I think it would be interesting to both have to manage sending in rounds so you know what sort of defenses you're dealing with and also delaying your sort of, quote, time to troop by powering them up. Interesting. I like that. So you're kind of playing a game of chicken as far as like, I'm building up as many troops as possible and it takes time to build them up, but I don't know if the time that I've allowed my opponent has given him enough time to build up adequate defenses. And so, you know, sending those scout units in, maybe there's like really cheap units, or maybe if you just want to send one expensive unit as a scout, you can kind of make it all the way through the maze before getting kind of zapped at the end. And you can get a really good feel for, you know, how the entire labyrinth is secured. Yeah, I, that would be kind of cool. Some ability to, you know, there's that tactic that many people in StarCraft use where you just kind of make a troop and you immediately just send them out to go look for the enemy base. Mm -hmm. Potentially you're sending out some early troops, you know that they're going to die. Maybe you in, in certain levels you can do challenges where you can only manufacture a certain number of troops or have a certain number of groups. Like potentially you could use a tactic where you're sending out a lot of small groups and groups have to be spaced a certain amount of time apart or you're sending in like two massive waves. Um, so you kind of are playing with the idea of what is the group combo and what uh, what troops are going to die just uh, to take out some of the preliminary defenses that are set up? It would be interesting if there were some more expensive units, and all of this is kind of like a like wagering time more than anything, more than resources specifically, because as time goes by, your enemy is getting closer and closer to becoming kind of near impenetrable. Um, so if you if you spend like hours waiting, then by the time you attack, it doesn't matter what size your army is, like there's no getting through what they built up in that time. Um, and so you're kind of wagering, you know, resources are kind of a measure of like how long it takes to produce things. So maybe there are some more expensive units that you can use to potentially bypass in kind of a riskier mm. way, like somebody who can drill through walls, but is very vulnerable. And so if you drill through a wall that is not, defended yeah then you can make a shortcut for all your troops and kind of skip you know a third of the maze but if you obviously if, if that guy gets spotted then he's dead within a minute 
Yeah, and maybe if you like, if there's some way, maybe like getting certain amounts of like penetration, <laughs> what a quote, uh, being able to get further into the enemy base is how you sort of accrue points and currency. So you have points where you need hmm. to, in order to keep manufacturing troops, you actually need to make a certain amount of progress into the enemy base. And then when you do, you get a new technology and say, you can create a troop that for a little extra time can temporarily disable an enemy tower or whatever. So um, there's kind of that build phase and deploy phase the same way you'd get on the defensive side. But this time it's like uh, muster army, send army uh, more than it is like collect currency and uh, upgrade and shore up defense. Maybe there's like three checkpoints in every maze that award you once you pass them you can build like a hero class, oh. all of them kind of upgrading in their efficiency. And so, yeah. you know, one of the potential strategies is that you can send a strong army in there early just to try to make it to that third checkpoint, even before you're prepared to make it all the way through, just because you really want that powerful hero. And then hopefully the hero can kind of carry the smaller army that you're able to send through because you spent a lot of units trying to get to that place in the first place. But, you know, if there are, huh, you know, if, if you do spend those units early and they're defeated, then you're in a really tough place. And so it is like a, a big risk that you're putting out there, but potentially could be a kind of game changing reward. Maybe the deployment phase of the troops, there's some level of like selecting your groups and, selecting where you want them to go almost pathing style uh, so they kind mm -hmm. of path through things themselves but you have some manual control and those points those checkpoints you talked about are on unoptimized routes right where the routes where they're going to encounter mm, okay. even more defenses uh, instead of going straight for the heart of the thing and and each uh, sort of level could have oh the the hero unit that can take over a tower, disable a tower, that that checkpoint's over here. The hero unit that can cut through walls, that checkpoint's over here. Um, but I know that if I get him early, then I'll be able to open up a new mm. path and sort of get the third unit sooner. Interesting. I like that. Uh, just out of curiosity, again, because I'm not big tower defense player, are there usually more than one route? I kind of always imagine the genre as being like, you create a circu or circuitous route because you want to slow the enemy down, but essentially there is kind of one pathway that everyone is following. So if you play, I, the if you haven't played it, the one that I do recommend, the sort of canonical one at this point, Defense Grid, The mm -hmm. Awakening, I think that there are times where, and maybe more specifically, I'm thinking of Dungeon Defenders is a great example of this, of sometimes uh, you have a very exposed uh, objective and... Enemies can kind of filter in from one of multiple points, and as the waves increase, new entry points become available. Maybe that's sort of what you're doing on the attacking side, is you're just breaking down initial barriers, and then every time you go to deploy troops, you have new points of entry. So you're not always walking sort of the same path to get through the same amount of towers. You're also trying to break down those points of entry or reach those objective points so that you can create new points of entry for your next wave of troops. Interesting. So I'm going off of my memory of reviews of a game that I never played, but there was a double fine game originally called Trenched. I think they changed it to Iron Brigade. Does that sound right? Um, that it was sounds a, like a thing. Yeah, it was a game, uh, a tower defense-ish type of game 
where you were playing as like mechs during World War One. Oh, and cool. so it had some of that kind of down in the like get your feet on the ground type of action along with the more kind of overhead view strategic element. And uh, actually, that's one of the things I really liked. Another double fine game about a uh, brutal legend is that that essentially played in its uh, combat sequences as an RTS game, yeah. but you were controlling a character who had, you know, had kind of a character action style of uh, gameplay. And so having a character that maybe during your final push, you can take direct control of and play strategically. And so it's not just a numbers game could be interesting as well. Yeah. Some sort of, more, maybe that's, that's essentially like you have the more RTS style deploying of the troops, getting through the base building and manufacturing and unlocking those hero units kind of gives you that iron brigade sort of manual control level of things. And so now you get sort of the best of both worlds of like, I'm just trying to unlock individual hero characters and maybe you can only control one at a time, but you could also, uh, employ a friend to be able to take over manually hero characters and, uh, you can have multiple simultaneous human characters and swing the things in, in your favor. All right. Well, we're out of time on that one. Why don't we come up with a name for it? Oh, man. This is one of the first games in a while that I felt like I stayed so practical that it feels like it could actually happen or has or already has happened in some <laughs> way. I, your your point, Tower Offense is pretty good. It's not bad. I yeah. don't know if anybody's taken it, but... It's it's definitely on the nose, but that's kind of what I like about it. All right. I think that sums up very well. And as an episode title, it'll be easy to go back and remember what it was. <laughs> that's right. There were some even two or three episodes back where I'm just like, what was, what <laughs> like, was that? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, when, sometimes we prioritize the pun over yeah, the right. actual <laughs> description. <laughs> no regrets. All right. So my game today is a VR game. So you're welcome. Beautiful. Um, so what I have is a game where you are in an arcade. Uh, It's kind of life scale. And you can approach and play several arcade machines, and each one will be programmed to have its own kind of special game in it. There's no hint that there's anything more than this, but if you experiment around with the program, you can get the arcade games to interact with each other by doing specific things, like using the House of the Dead gun to shoot things on screens of Mm. other games and find that it actually works. And so... You know, those types of interactions occur, but again, there's really no hint up front that anything like that is possible. It's just purely about the discovery from the player. So I'm going to start the clock there and see what kind of interesting ideas we can whip up. Maybe there can be a narrative wrapper here of like, you're an arcade repairman and Mm -hmm. you have the ability to take some of the weird bespoke arcade parts of machines and affix them to other machines um, Mm. or install other machine software. Uh, It's sort of intra installing software between or extra installing them between machines. And that way you could like, it would be very, isn't there a game? I forget what it is. It might be called brewmaster or something like that, where essentially a guy is serving like Budweiser's and you have that, We've all, I think we've all played an arcade game where there's a sort of bowling ball controller. Do you know what I'm talking about here? It's like a giant trackball is all you're manipulating. Okay. I, I can get the picture in my head anyways. Yeah. So 
I'm, I wish I could think of it now, uh, but the ability to take like a fighting game control layout where you get like six buttons and put that onto a game that was only ever like one or two buttons before and suddenly new abilities become unlocked and that kind of thing. Oh yeah, that's interesting. Um, one of the things that I was thinking of when I was creating this is like, we've all gone to arcades before and have kind of had those, um, you know, you, you, you pick up the gun from one of the systems and suddenly everything looks like a, a target, every screen that you see in front of you and just think like, wouldn't it be funny if this worked in that way? And so, you know, finding these kinds of like secrets and interactions, I obviously that's really easy to do when you have a a gun because you know that that's obvious what kind of interaction that would have with other screens but i'm i'm curious in more traditional stick and button type control schemes like what could we do to create these interesting moments of discovery i think the ability to like move the software around is interesting to me and like could be used as an excuse to not only just do different control schemes, but maybe access like a different way of playing something like what does excite bike look like if you put it on like inside one of those complete surround sound, like racing cabinet things mm, where you're sitting right. in the entire vehicle. Does it, does it take on a new perspective in that way or does it just give you new sort of sets of things that you can do within the game. So it's almost like creating your own remix of these games. You know, maybe maybe you're able to kind of like pull out the wires of a system from like a panel on the side. And so it's not something you would immediately think to do, but you can start to kind of intermix some of them that way if they have compatible ports. Oh man, and daisy chaining <laughs> systems together uh, to <laughs> yeah. get your own combining of elements of things of like, oh, if I wire this to this, I get this. But if I wire this through this other thing and then put that in, I get even a third thing. So you end up like you start off with a very traditional looking arcade and buy, you know, everybody's room. Almost imagine that like Oculus home space, right? Where you can decorate it in any mm-hmm. way you want. You kind of make... Uh, you know, H's arcade in that way. You're like, well, I've got I've got Tekken on a cocktail table uh, in 2D <laughs> because I wired it through Mortal Kombat or something. Yeah. So, you know, there's all sorts of different like Wreck-It Ralph style interactions that you can have here. Um, I'd love to see like a vertically scrolling war shooter, like one of those planes flying through, you know, like the 1940X series is set against like a like a racing game with the track underneath and you're shooting out the other racers or something like that. Yeah, you could take like a Sonic the Hedgehog and can it, well is so, was Sonic, Sonic had a an arcade game there were some maybe. Some arcade not. games, yeah. Okay, so if you have like a Sonic the Hedgehog arcade game and you like wired into a Marble Madness, uh yeah. <laughs> you know that that actually probably Sonic has basically already lived in that incarnation, but it would still you know, be fun. 3D blast, right. <laughs> you know, now that I think about it, Marble Madness is probably one of those ones that I had a, a trackball in some of its incarnations in arcades. Yeah, that's a good one. And then uh yeah, I guess interesting control schemes is also something to think about here so like um tempest had its like rotating knob that you can uh you can rotate and i wonder like what that would be like when applied to other types of games yeah and i love all those light gun games i mean i whenever i see a light gun game at an arcade it it is calling my name for whatever reason probably just Mm -hmm. american gun culture doing it for me but (laughs) you know now when you go into a dave and busters if you will you see like there are Guitar Hero guitars set up. 
Like yeah, I know a lot right. of people have done, you know, explorations of what Guitar Hero means, but there are also like giant Angry Bird games where there's like massive touchscreens and stuff going on. I think now kind of sky is the limit in terms of what method of control inputs plus sort of uh, mashups of software that you could do. Just imagine like taking any arcade game and just plugging it into a pinball table. Could it like transform the pinball table? You know, this is really interesting, but it's making me realize that so much of the fun of arcades is kind of the physical interaction with these very intricately built machines. And I wonder how much of that would be lost in VR and whether this would be more interesting as kind of like a pop-up museum type thing, like something people can go to in real life. Yeah, I think that would be amazing. I mean, you'd have to you would have to fake some of the software in real life, right? Which is kind of the well, I mean, I guess if you can build it in VR, you could build it in real life, but you could mm-hmm. do really silly things where uh, just by hooking up a or impossible things where hooking up a uh, what was I gonna say a pinball table to something like a millipede or something will mm-hmm. net you like suddenly the pinball table getting a higher score on that can like make you know you can control the millipede that way and so you can do yeah. sort of controller remixes yeah Tempest is a good one where if you combine that with like Mortal Kombat. Does getting a good score in Tempest give you like combos or something in Mortal Kombat? And mm. you you can find out like logically, oh, well, I know that pinball machines will overtake the controls of whatever I plug them into. And I know that, uh, you know, older games overwrite newer games. So like Mortal Kombat will downgrade into an 8-bit style, but like 8-bit games won't like scale up into a Tekken thing. And buy those like fake little laws that you set up you can do remixes that way and uh kind of like nes remix uh that series that nintendo played with for a little bit i don't know they've really done anything with that recently they should probably get back into that it was kind of a cool idea um but there's ways that you can use the the skill sets of other characters when applied to other characters games in interesting ways that are unexpected yeah i love the idea of being able to plug in uh Something, I don't know, even like Galaga and put it into like Dragon's Quest and get like an (laughs) an animated storytelling experience. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, there was a uh, Space Quest or something like that. There was one that was set in the sci-fi environment. So, you know, that would be kind of funny almost in those ways of like, you know, this plus this equals this other thing. I think whether you go for this in real life and I I think you could you could hook it up in such a way where it it feels real in real life. I think one thing that could be fun is to just do not not really rip-offs but like games that are inspired by those other games but not quite those other games. I think like you could do that. We all know okay there's guys showing up on screen right. and you're shooting them with guns and you know sometimes there's a zombie in there you're like oh this is the house of dead like uh, that they've yeah, put in yeah. here so you can kind of skirt uh, the copyright issues because i'm sure like this thing would not feel at home without a, a star wars arcade mashup thing <laughs> absolutely well that could be fun to come up with all those parodies um all right that's that's all the time we have there so let's let's create a name for it i feel like naming the arcade would be the way to go on this one right should you name it after yourself? My name is kind of uh, kind of nondescript. I don't know. 
I guess a lot of the arcades are just kind of like Chuck's Arcade. Right, right, right. Dave and Buster. Buster's pretty unique. <laughs> well, oh, okay. I've got something for you. <laughs> what do you think of mashers? Mashers. That's nice because it's like a mashup <laughs> and button masher yeah. at the same time. So Mashers Arcade. That's a good one. Also sounds like kind of a naughty teen movie. <laughs> That's right. I like the part where the girls are in bikinis. <laughs> uh, PG-13. All right. Well, that's a good one. Mashers, let's go now to our own inbox and see what our community has written for us today. This one comes from Micah Square, who emailed us to say, Your recent Elf on the Shelf pitch reminded me of a game that I wanted to try with friends in real life, but that could be developed into a video game. In the game, players would begin in random points in a busy real-life location, like a shopping center. The object of the game is to eliminate the other players by taking photos of them without being seen, and posting the photos to the whole group. Along the way, players must not arouse the suspicion of bystanders by or local security. <laughs> That's great. He says, I have a great title suggestion, but I've forgotten it. Anyway, I'm interested to see what you can make of the idea. That's wonderful. Mike, join the club. <laughs> I'm kind of disappointed with myself that I've not come up with this before. This is a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, all right. I'm starting the clock on this one. We're going to have fun with it, I'm sure. This is great. It's like, uh, it's a fun photo-based take on kind of tag, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Or um, like those uh, zombie type of games that you play in a university campus. Oh, I've never, I don't know of these. What are these? Like some people are alive and some people are zombies and specified by whether they wear their like orange headband on their head or their arm. And um, the people who are alive have Nerf guns and they have to perform like certain missions throughout the day. Uh, but also they have uh, uh, co coordinated missions, I should say. Um, usually kind of when everyone's off school, then they get together to run these missions and, and try to survive along the way. But part of the fun is that you are playing 24-7 and so... You know, as you are walking to class, you have to keep an eye out for the zombies who are trying to ambush you at every turn. Um, so, yeah, it's a very popular thing on uh, university campuses to, to play a little bit of competitive gaming in between classes. I love the idea of this, whatever this app is or that uh, takes the photos that is like proof positive for it to have some sort of history so you just get with a group of friends the most strange photo library that you've ever had on your phone of just like oh, here's ryan like getting a smoothie <laughs> like what <laughs> just from far away the, the zoom function will never be better used on a camera <laughs> yeah I, I i love how well this scales to different types of groups in different settings so you know i would think like if you had five players in a grocery store, then this could totally work. But if you also had 50 players at Disneyland, then this could totally work as well. And, you know, just enough to where you can really hide in the crowds. Maybe even it could be a, uh, not necessarily among friend groups, although you could play it that way, but uh, you could just have kind of sign up for a day, say, I will be at Disneyland two weeks from now. So I want to play. I'm going to put my you know, upload my photo. And so two days beforehand, people get an array of photos of people that they're looking for throughout the day, kind of like a where's Waldo. And then, uh, so you're kind of studying that. And then when you have your day in the park, then you look for anyone who's acting suspicious, which at a theme park is about everybody. <laughs> 
or, um, you know, people <laughs> who are looking at their cameras and yeah, I don't know. That could be uh that could be a lot of fun. The, the anarchist inside may wants to say, just make this, you get a prompt of like, find somebody eating ice cream and get, get a picture of them without them knowing, but that's probably a little, it's either too easy or too creepy. It would, I, I, I do like the. The premise that everyone involved is playing the game. You know, I don't necessarily want to sit right. people on just taking photos of strangers. So I will, because it's a little bit hide and seek. So mm-hmm. I, I think one thing. Ready for this? This is a, this is a potential mind bender. <laughs> but you can be eliminated, but um, you can get back in the game by getting a photo. Of your friend <laughs> taking a photo without oh, them okay. knowing it. So if you can get Inception, uh, if you can actually get, oh, there's Ryan trying to take a picture of Mike, who's trying to take a picture of John, whatever, that can be, either that's worth crazy bonus points and you play it off of like that, like it's three strikes and you're out to be caught, or if you're caught trying to do it to someone else, that's an instant elimination, or maybe something where you can also catch the person who's trying to catch the person. That's great. I would think that there would have to be logistically some level of support back at the base, you know, back at the whatever company is producing this to try to validate photos, because I'm not sure if, you know, it'd be fun. So you upload your profile photos beforehand. And those are the headshots that people will use to recognize you, but they don't necessarily know what you're wearing, kind of like a game of Hitman. And (laughs) so, you know, but at the beginning of the day that you're playing the game, you have to get somebody to take a full body picture of yourself. And so, you know, you upload that to like just the people who run the game and they can then validate the photos that other people send them. So, you know, obviously if you, if you take a picture of somebody from the side and it's kind of blurry because it's zoomed in and cell phone cameras still can't zoom for some reason, it, it can be difficult to determine whether or not somebody is still in or whether they're out at that point. You know, I, I wouldn't really trust machine learning to be able to, uh, at this point at least, be able oh, to yeah, validate properly. accurately. Yeah, but if somebody knew exactly what you're wearing and were able to kind of cross-reference that with a photo that you yourself had sent in earlier, then um, I feel like that's a more fair way to do it. So here's two potential twists on that where like if you take a picture of somebody, let's say it's a group of four players, if you take a picture and you claim it's one other person, it gets submitted to the remaining two players to confirm. Hmm, Okay. So the other two players have to be like, yes, that is that person, they're out. Um, and then, you know, you do the single confirm and then down to it's, you know, one on one and maybe it sends it and maybe it still sends it to the whole group to confirm. So even when you're, quote, out of the game, you still get to actively confirm. But if you're mm. eliminated early, uh, maybe you're eliminated just means you can't win. But one thing you could do is if everybody has a little headshot, like you suggested, you can report in the in the little app or whatever some small details like you can press hat and blue and tell everybody out oh, there in ah, a blue hat right now and now that person right if they uh, either that person does not get to see the details that have been reported about them or they can see the details and choose to then change their appearance to continue <laughs> to avoid suspicion yeah uh, it's like someone knows you're having... in a blue hat you're like oh right. One tricky thing about having players validate the photos is that then, like, then 
everybody else knows where you are because they can kind of like if they know where the opponent and where the person who just got photographed was, then they kind of know where you're shooting them from. And right. so I don't know if that would necessarily be maybe that's part of the strategy is you can kind of put some time in between you taking the photo and uploading it. If you tap if you tap on the person's face, then you could just serve up everybody else a really cropped in face view. Maybe there is another way to to validate things by like using the GPS tags. And so maybe while everyone is playing, their phone is kind of constantly in GPS mode. And if you take a photo, then it can kind of like determine where the photo is. And if that matches where the opponent is located or was located at that time, then uh, that counts. Right. Oh, interesting. So everybody has to share their location. So if you get a photo and it's properly validated, you would need a pretty large play space, I think, for the phone to differentiate and like the yeah, pinpoint the exact stuff. I mean, it could just be kind of a honor system thing. If you're playing between friends, I think that would totally work out. If you have five players, that would be just fine. Um, but again, if you're playing with a larger crowd, then uh, I guess the questions of validation get a little bit more complicated. I think two two of the things that would be fun about it is, number one, if elimination does not mean you're out of the game and like elimination just turns you into incentivizing uh, the torpedoing of your fellow contestants of like, well, I know Ryan's in a red hat, so I'm going to I'm going to tell everybody what he's wearing or whatever. So you can kind of be devious in that way. Or <laughs> you could just maybe set a time limit um, and have like phases of the game, sort of a hide and seek esque thing where like, OK, you have 10 minutes to get to a location. And then after 20 minutes, you all come back together and you actually see like everybody's photos get shared uh, at the end of the 20 minutes and you get to see who actually won. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking also interface wise, you could have like a crosshair on your phone monitor and so phone monitor, whatever the screen. <laughs> and so it looks like you're kind of like shooting at them with like a sniper rifle or something um, as a way of kind of selling the assassin like uh, like pitch here. Um, but it would also be a way of making sure that whoever you're taking a picture of is always like center frame and not like they didn't just happen to be in the photo and you were really taking a picture of somebody else. Oh, okay. Huh. Cause if you get a wide enough crowd shot, then chances right. are somebody is going to be in it. Right. Right. So you're kind of, you're incentivized to maybe you, there's like one thing a computer could suss out is if. There are mm. multiple people in the frame. It can just like reject the photo. Yeah, yeah. So really the safest place to be would be like in front of a mural of a lot of faces. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but then you of course, every, yeah, it'll be like, that's that's good, right? Because people will be like, oh, go, go. The, the most wily players will know the system and will try and skirt it in that way, but also you know, you'll know, okay, he he knows what he's doing, so I'm going to go look for him around the uh, around this stupid area where everybody else is hiding. All right, that's it. That's all the time we have. Uh, let's name it. Again, Mike says that he was not able to come up with a name or that he had one, but he forgotten it, I should say, to give him credit for that. But um, let's see what we can do. Is there a name for the catching a pedestrian in the act sort of thing. I feel like the word voyeur comes to mind. Catching a pedestrian in the act. Like act just catching him, like taking a, 
picture of a pedestrian without them noticing you. It feels like something we should have a word for culturally. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if there is another name I was thinking of, but might not be very appable if that is a word is a prosopagnosia, which is a face blindness essentially. But again, it's kind of the opposite of what this game is about and it does not condense well to something that you would say in a conversation, we should play some prosopagnosia. Yeah, I'm though it sounds cool, it does sound like <laughs> spyish. Yeah. Yeah, you know of face blindness though, right? It's where people can't really tell one person from another. No, I didn't know that that was even a thing. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a That's horrible. Not a super common condition, but it's kind of like, you know, if we look at like trees, then we can tell that they are different from one another, but we couldn't really point to anything in particular that we could use to like identify the same tree again. Mm -hmm. And that's just how some people operate with faces. Huh. Oh my God. God. <laughs> Sorry. That has me shook. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like what the Jackbox games would call something like this. I feel like making it feel uh, like yeah. a party game would be a good angle. Like if it's called face in the crowd or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or crowd surfing. Crowd surfing's pretty good. Crowd surfing is pretty good. Mm, how about snap judgment? Oh, that's pretty good because then your <laughs> friends have to uh, your friends have to confirm they have to be the judges for the snap. Yeah, yeah, that works. Okay, we barely got out of that one alive. Yeah, geez, Mike can't leave us hanging like that. <laughs> a really wonderful idea. I like that one a lot. Uh, that is, uh, Mike Asquera sent us an email to playwrightcast at gmail.com. You can also send your own pitches into playwrightcast.com slash pitch or tweet us at playwrightcast. Special thank you for proto... Sorry, sorry. I know this is a plug, but there's a reality TV show just called Busted on the Job, Caught on Tape. And that is just <laughs> the most reality TV show title I have ever heard in my entire life. There's also Busting on the Job, which is the Ghostbusters documentary. So, Oh, yeah. I love it. <laughs> we get really behind that. Or is that in fiction documentary? <laughs> well, I don't know. It makes me feel <laughs> right. good anyways. It does. Uh, special thank you to Protodome for the use of our theme song, Hello World, off the album Blue Noise. It's very good. And go give it a listen. And hey, while you're at it, why don't you check out the rest of the Cane and Rinse network where you have great shows like Cane and Rinse, Sound of Play, and The Sausage Factory. I think the latest thing that's happening on Cane and Rinse right now is what, Aladdin? And there, if you, yeah, that's if right, the Aladdin played, games. The Aladdin games, that's right. So if you played it on uh, Genesis or Mega Drive, as our friends across the pond might call it, or Super Nintendo. They've got you covered in every which angle they can. So I had a dream about that last night, actually, that I was at an arcade and there was an Aladdin arcade game and I wasn't confident because I'd never played either the Super Nintendo or the Genesis games and they are very different games and I couldn't identify which one it was. So I was trying to use contextual clues. <laughs> hey, if you get it also, you know, I hate to I'm, I hope I'm not embarrassing you here, but go to playwrightcast.com and check out Mr. Heyman's The History of Video Game Music. He's got this amazing project he's putting together. It's a black and white grid of stuff that's not there yet. And then something's lighting up in color uh, to go see. You're doing what? Giant mixes of a bunch of years of video games, right? That's right. So it's taking all of the significant games that came out in the particular year and trying to like remix all of the music into kind of like one 
large collage of, of sound and music. Um, and so they often come out to be like more than an hour long. And so you could just kind of sit back and let the memories flood back over you. Your artwork, your Photoshop jobs on this are awesome. He gave me a little peek <laughs> of them in advance. I was so excited. And, uh, you know, if you if you ever go and Google like a year, like 2003 in video games or video games in 2003, uh, Google will give you results at the top. And there are some years that are going to be just bangers. Uh, I can't wait to hear Absolutely. 2013, 2007, 2003. Those are all going to be really fun. 2015 is to. still my favorite year. In 2015? Video games kind of, of all time. You know, you get Bloodborne and The Witcher 3 and oh, Life is wow. Strange. It's a great year all around. So yeah, so there's a uh, sum up there. It's right in the header. You can get to it. Go check it out. And uh, what else? Go review us on iTunes. Hey, that's that's what you can do if you love the show, too. So there's never-ending things for you to go do when you're not listening to play right or, or while you're listening. <laughs> yeah, so we are coming up pretty quick on our two-year. That'll be just in a week or two from now. That's exciting. Well, we'll circle back for that. But until then, Q, why don't you bring us a uh, mini pitch to go out on? I've been holding on to this one for a while, and I think it would be good. A Downwell spinoff that is a Nintendo collaboration as a Super Mario water level. Mm, all right. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.